Hello and welcome to Audible River. I'm Alan Rice, and I'm very happy to have with me Baika Heaton, founder and operator of Complete Illumination Healing Arts in Lafayette, California, where she offers healing through her training as a clinical hypnotherapist, brain-spotting practitioner, and Reiki master teacher. Baika is a Soto Zen priest ordained in 1998. She is the founder and former abbess of Mount Diablo Zen Group in Pleasant Hill, California. Baika is a recipient of the Peace and Justice Award from the Mount Diablo Peace and Justice Center. She is an end-of-life doula and has taught Zen meditation for over 30 years. Hello, Baika. It's really great to see you today. Hi, Alan. It's good to be with you. <laughs> well, you know, to get started... Uh, you were you were ordained as a Zen priest. This is this has been a long time ago. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to that, and then talk a little bit about Zen Buddhism, uh, the the origins, the practices, and the beliefs? Okay. Well, um, you know, I grew up in Pleasant Hill, California, not far, not far from just over the hill from Lafayette. So it's a little unusual for somebody who grew up there in the 70s to become a, a Zen priest, I think. Um, but really, it came out of uh, being a very anxious person, very sensitive person, and what what I call or came to know as way-seeking mind, which is something deep within ourselves that guides us to something that we're really needing. So I got really lucky or I'm a very have a very very wise part of myself that was guide guiding me that came forward when I needed it, which was just the world was difficult to live in for me, being so sensitive and and uh, kind of anxious person. And so somehow I got involved in uh, practicing yoga and um, was living on my own in, in Berkeley at the time which was just a couple blocks away from the Berkeley Zen Center. Talking to a friend, my friend said, hey, why don't you go see my friend Mel at the Berkeley Zen Center and get some meditation instruction? So that's what I did. Sat down on a cushion for the first time and just felt like I had uh, come home. Wow. So that's where it all, it just was a very profound feeling that I had in that moment. I've never forgotten it. And I told myself at the time, don't ever forget this moment. And throughout my lifetime, you know, I've kind of drifted off or tried this or that for, you know, maybe a few months. And then I had to come scurrying back. Okay. <laughs> to my cushion. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's just, it's not something I do. It's, it's, it's just my life. You know, my life is, is practicing, uh, gratitude, practicing kindness, practicing love, um, all of those things that um, are part of being a Buddhist. Kindness, gratitude, and love. And so th these, these are things that you, th you think about. You, um, do you have practices where you develop these things in yourself? Um, I'm just wondering how this works in the, in the Zen um, traditions you know how do you, how do you enculturate these things in your life 
Well, um, I lived at the Berkeley Zen Center, and, and a lot of us do live at a Zen Center and train or practice in Zen Buddhism. Um, and, and, a and a lot of people don't. You know, a lot of people don't. I came to it when I was 27 years old, and um, I got involved very uh, intensely right, right away. And that practice includes monthly retreats, meditation retreats from 5.30 in the morning till nine at night, where you're sitting most of the day, there's, a, there's some breaks and uh, a work period, but mostly you're sitting, including for meals, you're sitting down cross-legged or in a chair in, in the Zendo. Uh -huh. and, um, and, I, and I moved in there and lived there for 10 years um, so in that, so there was monthly retreats and then daily meditation in the morning at, uh, 5.30 in the morning and then 5.30 at night, 5.40 in the morning, uh, which included, um, following that was, um, the daily liturgy, uh, whatever that was for, you know, on any given day. So a service, uh, and then afterwards, some, uh, temple cleaning. And so it was, you know, like living in a monastery in, in this, this is in Berkeley or, a, you know, being in a seminary. And, and I did that for 20 years. Wow. Uh, that's, that's quite, that's dedication. Yeah. I lived, I lived there for 10 and then, um, and then I, I, you know, went off to, to, um, what we say is, uh, go out into the world with gift bestowing hands. Okay. So you, you learn the practice and then you go out in the world and, and hopefully influence others, not by proselytizing or anything like that, but just by being yourself and, and people notice. And that that's something that people have let me know over the years that just my presence was helpful to them. Oh, well, that's, that's a, what a wonderful thing to, to know that you have and to be able to share. Um, I was just to to go back a bit. You said like before you sat on that cushion that perhaps you were you were doing yoga, and before that maybe you you were you know understood that you had some anxiety in your life. I'm just interested in finding out how would you describe yourself in this transition between how you started and then what being what you know doing the Zen practices. How this changed you over time? How how would you describe that? Well, um, you know, I was kind of, I, I was working a lot. I worked as a waiter. We called ourselves waiters back then. So we were beyond <laughs> being waitresses. And we'd <laughs> Good. start calling ourselves servers at that time. It was waiters at a, a, a local, um, a local kind of a fancy restaurant in Oakland. And, um, you know, kind of running around, working really hard. It was helping to remodel the um the the apartment my partner and I at the time were living in um it, it was just you know a, a lot I was kind of burning the candle at both ends and to and then I injured myself um oh. I think I just overdid it I injured my back and I ended up uh laying face down on a mattress on the floor for six weeks while I recovered so I couldn't I couldn't walk so I went from 
just being really robust and strong and doing kind of construction work and mm -hmm. all this stuff and working and, you know, running around. It was the time of the gourmet ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. So, you know, drinking and whining and dining, it was, it was just a fabulous time, uh, during, in those days in Berkeley. And um, anyway, so so I just kind of burned out uh, early early on. And so I, as I was um, recovering, I realized there were, I need, needed to do something to really change change my life. Or I thought, I, I thought I'm gonna die this way. Oh, it's like, I had this sense of if I didn't change my life drastically, this was not gonna end well. So, um, so that's when I got into yoga and then, and then eventually got into Zen meditation where you're just learning how to sit still with all of that anxiety as it arises and knowing that it's just, um, you know, these, that there, everything's, uh, impermanent, basically everything comes and goes, everything rises and falls, including anxiety and emotional states, mind states. So if it's impermanent, I guess the idea is that just don't get worried about it, don't get hung up, don't get attached to it, or, or how does how does the understanding impermanence how does that help you? For me, it just helps me be with my pain. Okay. I you know oh this is this is a mental formation, or this is something in my body. This is something in my mind, and all I all I have to do is just one moment to the next, just be with this sensation and not grab onto it and be be carried away by it, or create a um, a story about it. It's this. It's this person. It's that person. It's this problem in my life. Rather than this is something within me, right? That I just that I need to open up to and be with and and usually that just helps it kind of dissipate a lot of things just dissipate um and i can say more about that yeah. um in connection with um eventually ending up at hch institute <laughs> and doing energy therapy and all of that okay so yes now you you were um so while you were uh, st studying Zen Buddhism, you were uh, living monastically. I, you know, I think you, yeah, you, you could say you could say, and then and then somewhere along the way, you you did establish this uh, Zen group in um, in Pleasant Hill, and yeah. so so what was how what what happened there? How did that come together? So uh, after I moved away from uh, living residentially at the Berkeley Zendo. I came back out uh, to Pleasant Hill where my, my mother was living mm -hmm. and essentially, and um, I moved in with her for a while and she said, oh, you can, you know, you can just stay here while you're trying to figure things out. Okay. So it was really great to just be with her and just, you know, just kind of once again, realized like I had to do something to to uh, regulate my life a little better. Mm -hmm. So 
I um, thought, well, maybe I could start a little group out here, you know, a little sitting group, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And um, so I thought, well, where could that be? Well, when I went to, uh, I went to church when I was a kid. Um, my my family weren't big church people, but my father was, was in a choir, mostly to train his boy. He was an actor, singer, so he wanted to keep his voice tuned up. So he was in the choir there. And Hillcrest Church in Pleasant Hill is a wonderful place. It's just in my heart always. And I just remembered, well, maybe I could go there and use one of those rooms. And and they were happy to have me and um, happy to have a meditation group there. And they had a contemplative group active at the time, too. I think it, it's still, still around. So uh, there was this room full of stuff. And we just um, emptied it out and eventually remodeled this room. And they were glad to have us have a, a designated room there. So we didn't have to like put up the altar every time and put up the cushions and put it all away. So <laughs> right. it's still there, still there going strong. Um, new teachers, old practitioners, friends of mine who, who took that on. And it was just like a little country zendo where people in the area could come um, just 15 seats maxed. Mm -hmm. And we've had just about every traditional ceremony there, big, big, big ceremonies, uh, including the mountain seat for being an abbess and wow. head student and all of these wonderful ceremonies that we do in Zen. And in that little room that holds maybe 41 people packed in, uh, we've been able to have a bona fide Zendo. It's very, very unusual. And uh, it's still, it's still there. Room 10 in uh, Hillcrest Church. <laughs> that's, that's, I love that story, you know, and I, I love yeah. that. I love that the, you know, what you started there just carries on that it wasn't there before. And you, you wanted to, you know, maybe invite people to meditate with you on, you know, whatever your motivation yeah. was. And then, and then it's, 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 people love this thing. I mean, to me, one of the fascinating things about your story is uh, is how uh, the the Buddhism is compatible with the Christian Church in this way. So so it sounds like the church people there were happy to have you, and the, there was no conflict of like oh you know they their beliefs are like not our, not like ours or anything. But it seemed like that there was a, there was a, like a joy in having you there. That's the impression I get from yes. your story. Yeah. Yes, and that is that is their practice hospitality. Okay. At that church, it, it, I mean, it's like radical hospitality. <laughs> I've never, they're so welcoming. They're so welcoming. And, you know, they have a food room and clothing room for people. It's really an extraordinary place. Wow. So, and what was the name again? It was the Hillcrest, Hillcrest Congregational Church in Pleasant Hill. Hillcrest Congregational Church in Pleasant Hill. Who knows? Yeah. They might get a couple more visitors after the podcast goes out. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? It's a wonderful, wonderful place. Beautiful <laughs> A-frame sanctuary. And, uh -huh. and I just remember feeling so safe there as a kid going there. And, and it, anyway, I just have wonderful memories of that place. Well, that's also a, a very, very interesting thing that, you know, you you left and then came back with this with this new uh, treasure that you were able to share in a, in a place that was sacred to you. Mm -hmm. uh, right. And, and as you said, you felt safe there. I mean, that's, uh, I, I love, I love that story. But, but then somewhere along the way, 
you 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 mentioned uh, HCH, and um, so what what drew you drew you along to make changes or to or to, to to seek other experiences and expand yourself? Tell, tell me more about that. Well, uh, I was working in uh, at a big hospital in the hospice department, and uh, you know, working working for a big hospital is pretty intense. There's a lot of a lot of deadlines and, and, you know, dotting I's, T crossing, it's all, you know, because of compliance and issues and all of these really good things that we need. But for my brain, it was really starting to wear on me. And I'd been there 16 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I wanted to change careers. So I thought, well, what, I wonder what I can do. And I was just kind of you know, thinking about it. And then I saw an ad in the paper or somewhere. I don't know where I saw this ad. <laughs> it just sort of fell into my brain or something. Okay. And it, it said Reiki, you know, uh, Reiki um, clinic or something like that. And and so uh, for a date night, I asked my husband if he'd like to go. And he said, oh, yeah, I've been there before. I'm like, really? Oh, so, really? Yeah. Yeah. So we went. We went for this Reiki um, clinic, and I was so moved by it, and and so moved by how these beautiful people could lay their hands on me, and I could just drop body and mind, as we say in Buddhism, just right. feel so free in in one session, and and so someone said, "Yeah, you can take classes here." So I thought, "Well, I'll do that." And then someone else told me about the um, hypnotherapy program, and I looked it over, and I was just so drawn in. It just seemed like just the right thing presenting itself just at the right moment. You know, I was ready for a change. So I went through the program, and that's and then I just, you know, said goodbye to my fantastic benefits and all that stuff and regular job and, you know, nine to five, and just said, I'm just going to be led by my passion and what I feel really uh, good about. And, and I just, I just uh, retired early from, from my hospital job and started working as a Reiki uh, master teacher and clinical hypnotherapist and all, you know, all the other energy therapies. All of the other, just every, all of them. Give me all of them, right? I want to do them all. So, well, the yeah. shamanic program, and yeah. you know, the Reiki program. Then they, then you can learn EFT there, and you know, uh-huh. all sorts of stuff. It's a great, great program. So it sounds like you had a natural talent for that, or you know, it was something that felt felt natural to you, perhaps. Well, because what's key to, I think, these different therapies is presence. Uh huh. And that I learned through Zen practice, how to be present to your own suffering, to someone else suffering, mm-hmm. and not move, just be with it. And that is really the chief uh, characteristic of my therapy practice, being present being, to people. That's a, that is a big one. I mean, because I can imagine like, oh, you know, if you're, you observe something and then immediately you, the mind goes, okay, how can I fix this? Or, you know, or like, or, or like, is it time for lunch or whatever? You know, so your mind's just, so, but if you, 
like you say, if you've had many years of you know practice, uh, it's so that it would come natural to you to just stay with that. And and so the in these energy practices, let's start with uh, Reiki. Now, what can you tell me? Like, what was your experience of it, and how did you l- learn to use it? Just you know, whatever you can say briefly about it. Well, um, I, I took the trainings there, and then I participated in the clinic. So you can learn Reiki. I don't know. Maybe some people are naturals. So I, I think I'm a little bit of a you know slow learner. <laughs> okay. A lot, a, lot of, a lot of repetition. And I went to most of the clinics uh, and just round after round. So the clinics are open to the public and it's free to them. So they can come and get a Reiki, you know, 15 minute Reiki session, get a sense of what Reiki is and then go on to take classes or just enjoy coming to the clinics. You know, maybe they have some kind of ailment or maybe it just feels good or maybe it's just a fun thing to do. So I did those and I got so much experience working on all kinds of different people and all kinds of different responses to a Reiki session from from the public, the people who came in. And I think that really helped me um, just be ready for anything. Wow. <laughs> it's a Reiki session, yeah. Wow. So you had, yeah, a lot of different kind of experiences uh, in you, while you were learning it. And, and so Reiki is that... Um, so are you moving energy with intention? Or how, does it, how does that work? What kind of energy? Or is it energy? Or what would you call it? I mean, what is Reiki? Well, uh, yeah, what is Reiki? That's a really good question. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I won't answer that question. Okay. All right. Okay. You don't have uh, to. <laughs> universal life force energy. Well, see, there you universal. go. That's a great answer. Yeah. Universal life force energy. But... For me, and there's different styles. So people, you know, it's through a particular person who who holds a, a um, particular set of conditions, mm-hmm. conditioning. Mm-hmm. And so for me, because of my conditioning and through Zen practice, um, you know, there's a lot of, of talk about you become a channel or uh, this is coming through you and, and – to the person for me it was really strictly um just being being present and and being present with my my hands and what what that's feeling like against their their body not really analyzing not taking any further like what do i feel there or you know oh. i might notice that i felt something but not to not to diagnose or treat just being present with my hands uh, my warm hands okay uh, against their skin or someplace on their on their body now w- I have a question would you say that the reiki itself has a way of I'm just wondering how do you know what to do or what to do with it I mean does it does it sort of like do its own thing with you and like because you talk about being present with it so does reiki to, like know what to do on its own is that that's yes. my question <laughs> okay good reiki reiki goes where it needs to go okay and, uh i don't know i don't i don't tend to worry about where it's coming from or or even think about or consider where is it coming from where is it going is it coming up and through my head and out my hands i don't know okay well that's great <laughs> but, 
some people study that and and I respect that and I think that's a that's a good way too. Everybody's everybody's different. Right. But you don't need that in order to be a Reiki practitioner, apparently. No, no, just need just need these. <laughs> hands. Just I'm looking at your hands, hands. yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you've got hands, then you're all set. <laughs> okay. yeah. Good. Um and so now the other one of the things that I noticed that, that you're trained in is brain spotting. That sounds like an interesting thing. It, it sounds a little different than these than than Reiki. What is what is brain spotting? Brain spotting is a brain based what I call trauma therapy. Okay. Uh, so through the position of the eyes, you make contact with. Uh, let's see, to cut a trapped uh, emotional states in the body, which means in the brain. It's good because the brain is not over here, right? The brain and the body, it's all one thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to kind of experience it to understand it. So with a, a pointer, for example, we, we use like a teacher's pointer. Sometimes it has a little bob on top just so you can see it really well okay and we help the um the client find a place by having them gaze at the end of the pointer or someplace on the pointer and we just watch for some activation or we allow them to say like whoa what was that sometimes it's a really strong feeling uh -huh. sometimes people can start crying the minute they see the pointer Okay. Some people don't experience that. Um, but I have found it to be very calming, very soothing, and people get better. And they might have uh, some memories come up that they haven't thought about for a long time, either, you know, recovered memories or just memories that, that you know, maybe they were uh, – in a process called dissociation. And so they don't have a memory of this really interesting thing that happened to them necessarily. Like they weren't in their body when it was happening and they're able to recover, cover not only difficult memories, but good memories as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah let me see if I can uh, <clears throat> kind of speak this back in a way that I understand what you just said. And I think I'm getting that. Um, so by the, by the person that you're working with, by them watching the little thingabob, that mm -hmm. that that is more or less a spatial representation, sort of of what what's in their brain. So the eyes are sort of creating a mirror, and that when they focus in a certain area, that that can trigger something in the brain, and that yeah. that can be where something is stored. That when it's released can be you know you can cry or laugh or whatever it can be some sort right. of release experience right, right. okay processes processes through it processes through that's a, Those, go yeah, ahead go ahead I was just wondering I was like that's such a fascinating thing that I mean how do you even discover something like that I mean just <laughs> <laughs> well um, you have you heard of EMDR yes eye yes. movement desensitization reprocessing yes. I imagine that's why we call it EMDR. <laughs> So um, maybe. So uh, David Grand was working with a skater. This is in his book called Brain Spotting. Okay. Um, 
he was working with a with a professional skater and she couldn't do a certain kind of jump mm-hmm. and they he he developed something called emdr flow so emdr is often you know back and forth on a, on a light board or I, i'm not sure sometimes they do it with like a neurotech with paddles mm-hmm. these days so um anyway uh he worked with this woman for for quite some time and she was not still not able to do this jump and if you're professional skater and you want to be in the a, a long program or short program you have to be able to do this right so uh uh he developed something called emdr flow which was a slower way of doing it going very slowly and he felt that his outcomes were better when he did this so he's going across very slowly and somewhere right about here let's say uh, he noticed her eye did a, a wobble and he, he kept going, well, that was interesting. And he came back and just intuitively he stopped there and said, you know, I'm just going to leave my pointer here and let's see what, what happens. And within seconds, she had this tremendous outpouring of uh, somatic stuff. And um, the next day, true story, she could do her, her jump. Wow. So she's following this pointer with her eyes. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point in the position of her eyes, her, did you say he was a coach? Right? That he noticed, you know, some, her some, therapist, her therapist, her ther- her yeah. therapist noticed, noticed some activity in her eyes, some kind of vibration yeah. there. And so he's, yeah. oh, there's something there. And so by, by that, that has led to the notion that, that there's some simulation between the eye position and where things are stored in the brain. Okay. And, brain and the body. And the body. Brain and the, and the, and the body. So, okay. Yes. So we try to separate the two, but it's what's in the brain's in the body. What's okay. in the body's in the brain. <laughs> well, right. I know, yeah, these days the science is all focused on the brain, right? Yeah, but uh, I just, well, if you ask the ancient Egyptians, they didn't think too much of the brain. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. just a curiosity. But yeah, uh, but yeah uh, that's, uh, so you find that you use this technique in, in helping people. And so you find that, uh, like you say, people have uh, profound experiences when you, when you practice this with them. Uh, so I guess, you know, so when, when people, you know, come to you, I guess they say, I got, you know, what is it? I can't sleep or I get, I get upset when certain things happen. And then you just say, okay, uh, and then you just try this. How does that usually work with a client? Uh, well, I do a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, sessions on zoom. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, uh, can be really helpful too, just just for somebody to be in their own environment where they feel safe and usually you mm-hmm. know and yeah they just come in and we we talk just a little bit about what's going on with them not too much and, and actually i don't talk that much during this session after i've kind of taught them you know help them kind of latch on to what this is because it's so weird you know yeah having this pointer and people looking at like what what are we doing here <laughs> yeah, so, right, um, right. but but most of them get it and it's hard to, um, well, we don't, we don't think too much about how much accumulation we have in our nervous system of, of things that, you know, we've gone through and we, we don't realize that it kind of accumulates. So in, um, releasing all of the, all of this 
accumulated material, it just supports us to have a stronger nervous system, ultimately. So I find that even though the experience is profound, the profound experience is getting better. But the, oh. the changes are kind of subtle. Okay. You know, it's like the monk walking along the path in the mist, and then he gets to where he's going and he realizes he's soaking wet, but he didn't notice because it was just a very fine mist. Right. Okay. So it's like that. Okay. And I imagine you, uh, I, you we're, we're talking about clearing. Yeah. You're so individuals, all of us, I mean, it's something that you, you know, mentioned many times in our conversation already about being present. So that's something I think that all of us uh, could use work on always, right? Because what we're talking about here is how we, you know, like say, you know, we get, like we almost had an accident on the freeway, right? And like, and, but then we're, but then we're going to church and then we get right. to church and we, we can't focus on what, you know, and we don't know, maybe we're agitated and we can't remember, we don't remember exactly why we're agitated, but something happened that we're holding on to. So that, that kind of thing is what you're talking about clearing, but it could be all kinds of experiences, right? I mean, things right. that happened at any time in a person's life, but these things get in the way of us being present and actually experiencing and using our ability to, you know, just be ourselves in the moment. That's so am I getting that right? Is that sort of to the yeah. point? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think you, yeah, you did a really good job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's really good. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> um, you know, one of the other things is now you mentioned that you worked in hospice for years and that, um, and that you, you, um, have call yourself, I understand, an end of life doula. And um, mm -hmm. so, and I, I want to talk to you about that. And I'll just say for myself that um, I've had people close to me who were, who were near death, dying. And frankly, you know, I don't know how to act around people who are, who were dying. You know, I don't know what to say or how to be. Uh, you know, my, my feeling is, feelings are confused and, um, so what, could, and, and, and I know I'm not the only one who has these kind of experiences around somebody I really care about, but I just don't know, you know, maybe we're just making jokes or whatever, but I feel like that there's probably something more that I could be saying or doing because this is, this is, I mean, the, the end of life is like, that's like, that's a big deal. So what, what, that, okay. So I'm here. I don't know what to say to my friend is dying. How, what would you, how could you help me? You could say, you know what, I don't, I, I'm at a loss for words, but I just want you to know I love you and I'm right here and I'm right here to the bitter end, however this goes. So just be yourself. So what I loved about working in hospice and being with people who are dying is everybody suddenly gets very real mm -hmm. and they don't, they're not keeping up with appearances or, you know, all those barriers come down. That was mostly my experience, not always, but mostly my experience. And I just love that arena of people being real and just being themselves. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. um, and just like you said, what do you say? Well, you just say what's on your mind. Like, oh, this, you know, I don't know what to say to you, but I just want you to know I'm here. What would, what would help you? Can I help you make you more comfortable or, and then just knowing how to be present with somebody in the last stages, this various stages, not not like a, a, 
uh, Kubler-Ross stages, but just the stages they go through when they're dying and how to be with that. It's, it's pretty uh, interesting process. And, and it's often very similar to, you know, we're, when we die, it's, it's very similar process with, with a lot of people. Okay. Yeah. Um, any more, like, um, yeah, so now I'm just thinking about my own experiences, but, but to, but to gather back what you just said, what I got from that is just being honest and being, again, being present and like letting, letting go of, and this for me is my interpretation, you know, from what you just said, letting go of what I think I'm supposed to do. Uh, right. <laughs> There's no supposed to. It's and I, just, and you know. I, I think that's where I get tripped up, you know. It's like, oh, yeah. I don't know how to say less rights or, you know, I don't know, well, you know, what, what am I supposed to do with you to, you know, am I supposed to, like, reassure you that everything's going to be okay or, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know if that's true or not. But uh, yeah. so, yeah. So, um, yeah, and there's some, some anxiety about it. And I think that, you know, when... When you have that kind of anxiety, when I do, you know, I think that there's, I definitely feel like I've missed an opportunity to make a real connection, uh, to make a connection with somebody going through a very profound experience, somebody who, who I've known or is a relative or a friend. Um, but your advice is just be honest, just be yourself. Yeah, be yourself <laughs> and, and knowledge, you know, having knowledge of the process mm -hmm. can really help one who is sitting with someone who's dying, you know, to know that past a certain point, um, they just, there's a certain uh, appearance or look that somebody dying will, will have. It's not an exact science, of course, but you know, at that point, they're not feeling any pain okay. and that they're, they're on another plane okay. and really enjoying the ride, you know, and you can just be with that and, and hope, hope the best, for them or wish the, you know, the best journey for them. Yeah. I mean, I can say I was, um, yeah, I said, I, I live apart from my family, you know, like 3000 miles. And, uh, so I got a call that my dad was, um, <clears throat> was in the hospital. Um, mm -hmm. and that, and that it looked like that he wasn't going to make it. And so I flew out to be with him. And so I happened to be with him when the nurse came in and was talking to him and he decided to just end, end his, um, end his treatments. He decided that, you know, I'm done with this. It's no use, you know, trying to keep me alive. And he was very clear about it. And, mm -hmm. and so that was one day. And so I was with him. I didn't really say anything. I'm thinking like, Oh my God, you, you're, you're making that decision right now. You're, you're saying that you're just going to let go. I mean, I didn't say those words. I'm just there. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, um, not knowing what to say, but I was there and, but he did it while I was with him. And, um, and then the next day I came back to sit with him for a while. And, um, he told me that there was an angel standing at the end of his bed. I knew that he had very strong Christian beliefs. And so that he said that, that this angel was really, really beautiful. And, uh, and it was uh, such a wonderful thing. And I don't know, then it was like, so many mixed emotions that I had about that because, you know, here he is, he's going through this. I know it was painful for him, you know, what he was going through. But like you mm -hmm. say, and apparently at that point, he seemed to be joyful about mm -hmm. what he was seeing, I guess, seeing ahead. And he, he saw this, this angel at his bed. But, but still, I just have to say that, 
you know, I just, like you say, I just try to be present, but I just, it is, um, to me, it's also a shocking experience to, to be with someone else's dying, to face my own prospect of dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and how will I be with that? You know, the fear, the fear of death is always kind of lurking there, you know, and I, and I guess at some point you lose that fear because if, if it's inevitable. So anyway, I'm just, I'm just sharing all that blathering on. Thank you. Yeah, no, no, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, this is a natural process. So uh-huh. in this country, you know, we didn't talk about it or, you know, it's, it's what we, what we say is a death denying culture. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, this happens to everyone. Right. Every single person who's born dies. And so if we can remember that is that it's a natural process and happens to everyone, I think I think that can that can help. Uh, but yeah, you know, and I can't hospice is, you know, if you have a hospice team, if you have something or, you know, you're given a diagnosis of six months to terminal and you have a hospice team in your home, it's just it's just the best thing because they can they have you know, state-of-the-art medication, you know, all, you know, all the ways that they can adjust things so you don't feel groggy, you can, you know, your your pain is relieved, but you don't feel groggy, all sorts of stuff that they can do for you that's just so helpful and helpful to the family, you know. Sometimes people, they, people wait too long, wait too long to have hospice come in so uh-huh. often. So, you know, you can get them as soon as you, you can. I, anyway, that's a whole that's a whole other topic. <laughs> but you would suggest that if you if, if you're a family member, if you know someone, if you're close to someone who who is dying, the sooner to get them hospice care is is these these people have the equipment, they know how to make people comfortable, yeah. and they know how to make. I guess they also understand how people may be feeling around the the you know the dying person, and to be able to help everyone feel relieved about what's going on. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 They're just really, they're really good at all of that, all of that. And, um, you know, people don't understand that you can go on hospice and then at any time you can say, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or you might get kicked off because you don't go <laughs> anymore because you're getting better. Actually. You're getting, yeah, you're right. In place and everybody's taking care of you. And then people sometimes get better and then they come, they go back on, you know, in a couple months or something like that. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for, for sharing all that because it was, I mean, okay. So talking about dying is usually like a downer thing, right? But what if it was, uh, you know, what if we could look at it differently? Like this is a joyful thing. Like this is, this is a transition that, that we all go through, like you're saying, you know, like we all die. And so like, if, what if, you know, if you're like, like my dad who was happy about seeing the angel, I mean, what if we all felt like that this was, you know, a transition we could look forward to? I think that most of us, you know, we, you know, the the idea, you know, like you were saying, we're we're in a death denying culture that we have obligations to 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 be here, to participate, to be part of whatever we're you know engaged in, and that to leave it is is a is a sad thing for everybody. Um, so it just seems like that it would be great if we had a you know a, a different way of just viewing you know th- this transition for all of us. And it's like I know that sometimes people have what they call celebrations of life, you know, where they celebrate a uh-huh. person's life. But still, there's always this, there's a mystery about it. And I don't think that any of us, 
we all we have beliefs and we have some people have like you know experiences or whatever i mean i've had people i know that have died that you know have spoken to me that kind of thing but we don't really know exactly what's i mean we can't be sure what's going on on the other side you know we don't have a clear window into that and i think that that's that's part of the uneasiness that we have about it uh but like you say we all go through it um and uh, it would be nice if we have more people like yourself who were just getting this this idea out there that hey yeah. you know getting yeah. up on our soapboxes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's um it, it's you know it's it is a, a kind of a mystery because no one's come back except for you know the near near death uh folks of course mm-hmm. um but we're not around it enough. So just in being around it for all those years and, and being with people who have died for all those years, it's, you can see that there's a kind of rhythm to it. There's a kind of naturalness to it. Um, there's something very profound and sacred about it. There's, and I, I've seen so many things. I've seen people reaching up, uh-huh. you know, as if somebody is there to, to, grab their hand and I've seen so many had so many experiences like that and heard so many stories that I know that there's something beyond so there's there's uh our birth and and our death but it's part of you know it just keeps going it doesn't not like we're born on this date and we die and that's it there's I don't know what it is but just from what I've seen and heard and and been around for so long, I'm not not too worried about it. Not too worried about it. That's great. I don't. I don't. I don't want to be worried about it either. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that I, that I'm impressed with in talking with you is 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 how much the your I don't know what to call it your inner guidance your feeling about what was important to you has has brought you through life to to the place that you are now. And uh, I mean, it, it seems like that you're. My impression is that you. It seems like that you're fulfilling, you know, something about yourself that that's that's genuine. Uh, mm-hmm. and, but you've but you've gotten there. How so? If you had to sum it up, how did you get where you are right now? In just just a few words, that I know that's a tough question. It's it's hard to say. I'll just say uh, I'm really lucky because I I woke up, but I. I don't know why, why I woke up. So I just kind of have always had a sense there was something greater going on here. So why that happened, I don't know. I don't even know it's emotional intelligence or, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm an old soul. I don't know. Right. Uh, but but it, it's this way-seeking mind, this seeking that which is greater than what, is you know appearing here as real there's something else something else way seeking mind that's a way seeking mind yeah. yeah what is what does that mean the the mind that seeks the way okay so the mind that seeks uh, the greatest um, role a human being can play in the world or maybe you could say a spirit could play in the world compassion kindness um, just, uh, living a good life. 
So this way-seeking mind is something that all of us can have or experience? Everybody. Everybody. Yeah. We, uh, us Buddhists call it um, Buddha nature. Wow. Yeah. Buddha nature. <laughs> I love that. Well, Baika, this has been, I, I love our conversation today. This has been really great talking to you. It's, it's just I a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking to you too, Alan. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity. I was, you know, I'm kind of an introvert, so it's... <laughs> But I did it. <laughs> yes, look at you. Okay, I'm going to send you a gold star that you can put on the wall. That... Thank you. <laughs> you just wait. I'm going to do that. Okay. Um, this has been a wonderful, wonderful uh, time that we've had today with, with Baika. And that is all for this episode of Audible River. To all of our listeners, I would love to hear your comments. So please email me at audibleriverpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.